0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production.
1: Hey, it's Tara Jean. I love you guys for listening and joining me on this exploration of Bethel Church. Now, I know some of you are on really difficult healing journeys, so here's a trigger warning. We're about to examine conversion therapy and the ex-gay movement. Listener discretion is advised. And like we always do on this podcast, we're going to hear a bunch of different opinions, like wildly different opinions. And I'm going to go first. This is a candid moment I recorded during a conversation with my previous guest, Kristen Cook Ambrose. Uh, when I left Prince Rupert and I moved to the city and I got my first job in the city and I was away from the church for the first time, away from my family, um, the the person who I was working with closely in this department store was an openly gay, mm-hmm. flamboyant man. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. oh God, what I'm going to go to hell just for working here. And then I very quickly realized that he mm-hmm. was living his true self, that he was mm-hmm. joyful and happy mm-hmm. and had a, a, a positive impact on his community And this man changed Mm -hmm. my life because he started in me just a a slow sort of deconstruction of what I believed. And because Mm -hmm. I thought, well, they taught me that he was an evil man who um, Mm. did really derogatory things in his daily life. That is no way he could have joy and peace in his home and all these kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And when I found out that wasn't true, I went, well, what else isn't true?
2: Absolutely.
1: And that's Absolutely. that's my journey, and I think it's been a journey for a lot of us. This is Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. Episode 7, The Once Gaze. On this episode, we'll examine a wing of Bethel Church called the Changed Movement. On its official website, Changed is described as a community of friends who once identified as LGBTQ+. They call themselves Once Gay, and the co-founders are both pastors from Bethel Church, Ken Williams and Elizabeth Woning, Once Gays, who say they followed the Lord to sexual wholeness, and you can too. To start, Let's get a solid feel for exactly where Bethel itself stands on this supercharged conversation. And as we are wont to do this season on Heaven Bent, let's turn again to reading reporter Annalise Pierce for the lowdown
2: Bethel Church really raised the ire of the local community, conservative though it is, um, by becoming politically active in the area of LGBTQ rights. Um, I think it's one ch- one thing for a church to have an opinion on gay marriage or gay um, the gay lifestyle. And many churches, of course, in Redding do have an opinion. But Bethel took that a step far, farther by actually beginning to lobby in Sacramento on behalf of anti-LGBTQ issues.
1: Specifically, in 2018, Bethel rallied other California churches to successfully stop Assembly Bill 2943 which would have made it illegal to sell any service intended to change an individual's sexuality or gender identity. Meaning, if the bill had gone through all the way, it would have become illegal in the state of California for Bethel or any other church to charge a fee for what's most commonly referred to as conversion therapy. Mm
2: They actually offer sort of a version of conversion therapy through um, several ministries in their church, and they have a very vested interest in continuing to offer those therapies as well as sell books that promote those kinds of therapies.
1: The Changed movement would be one of those ministries. And whatever's happening at Bethel with Changed, it's definitely riling up a lot of people in Reading. There have been protests against it in town, and there's this growing effort to boycott the church and its affiliates over it.
2: Well, it's a very interesting situation. So there's a, there's actually a Facebook group that's called Bethel Affiliated Businesses, and I know it's been um, sort of infiltrated by both by the other side as well. But it's basically a group that was started to um, to identify businesses that are owned by Bethel members or attenders, so that those in the community who do not want to support the anti-LGBTQ policies of the church will be able to avoid going to those businesses and, and those members of Bethel affiliated businesses and others have contacted many local businesses to ask them, are you affiliated with Bethel? And they'll say like, I don't go to Bethel church or I'm not a member. And, you know, most people who go to Bethel church actually aren't members. They're just attenders or maybe they don't go every week. You know, but people have to be very, very careful sort of how they mention to the community whether or not they're affiliated with the church because they don't want that tithe money going back to help fund and a LGBTQ lobby.
1: If you're not familiar with the inner workings of church life, tithe money is the 10% of your income that God, in the Old Testament, asks all believers to give to the church as a means of caring for church leaders and the work that the church does in the community. Some Bethel members or casual attendees may even decide to give more than that. That money would be considered an offering.
2: An offering is an amount over and above the tithe. Um, A gift to the church, not, not because God told you to give your 10%, but an over and above gift just because you want to give generously to the Lord.
1: And while we're on the subject of money, man, guys, Bethel is a very wealthy church.
2: Very little is really known about how Bethel is spending the money. Even the information about how much money they take in is not transparently available anywhere um, on the internet for anyone to find.
1: But that's okay, because Annalise Pierce has her sources. And they helped her uncover Bethel's 2017-2018 income, sixty point eight million dollars. And just over a third of that was from tithes and offerings. So, 21.6 million in tithes and offerings alone.
2: The the way that I got those numbers was by obtaining a physical copy of their annual report which is handed out at their member meeting. And through a source I got a physical copy of the member report which shows their how much money they've taken in.
1: And beyond tithes and offerings, where are all these millions coming from? The report showed the bulk of it was from the sales of products, services, and royalties. These would be delivered to Bethel consumers through several different entities. There's Bethel TV, part of Bethel Media. Bethel TV offers a popular subscription service that gives you access to a whole world of Bethel content. Sermons, worship, and other events and classes, just like you were a local member, except you could be anywhere in the world. There's also Bethel Music. It's a very successful record label founded by Bill Johnson's son Brian. And when I say successful, I mean it's putting out billboard charting worship bangers. And Bethel Music is seeing this kind of success over and over despite a widespread boycott of their music. Many churches and worship leaders are refusing to use it because, and this is in the world of the most extreme criticisms, Bethel, they say, is practicing and promoting witchcraft and heresy. Okay, let's put Bethel and all of its financial stuff on the back burner. And please welcome my first guest this episode.
0: Yeah, my name is Nathaniel Green, and I manage communications for Q Christian Fellowship, an LGBTQ Christian nonprofit. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, with my partner. We've been married for two and a half years, I think. Um, And I, uh, I get the privilege of advocating and cultivating community for LGBTQ Christians and allies around the world.
1: Q Christian Fellowship, is all about exploring what it means to be gay and Christian, or even trans and Christian. What does it, you know, mean to integrate your sexuality and your gender identity with your faith? Q is also known for starting a sort of counter-movement to Bethel's changed movement. It's called unchanged. And like changed, unchanged is all about elevating the stories of people in their specific movement. Except Unchanged is, of course, highlighting the stories of Christians and allies who are in the LGBTQIA community.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many of us have, have tried. We've, we've prayed earnestly to be different, to change. We've tried so hard to suppress who we were. I was personally convinced for the longest time that I would have a wife someday, um, like, it's, it's part—unfortunately, it's been part of the journey for many of us. And a lot of it comes down to what do you, what do, you do with the Bible? What does the Bible actually say about uh, same-gender relationships? What does the Bible say about being a trans person and transitioning? That's the kind of the core question that every LGBTQ person of faith has to deal with.
1: Nathaniel points out that, in his opinion— Many Christians interpret the Bible without ever personally taking the time to learn about the historically accurate context in which it was written, the language in which it was written, who translated it.
0: You can really overlook the cultural nuance, the complexity of of the passage, and often you lose kind of the beauty in these passages too. So we sort of we, we work with Scripture. We, we love Scripture. Um, we believe in Scripture, but we, we have to reconcile like our experiences, our identities with our faith, um, and that's difficult.
1: For the Christians who do agree with the biblical interpretation that homosexuality, etc, is a sin and punishable by an eternity in hell, where you will suffer greatly, weeping and gnashing your teeth. For those Christians, sometimes bold and shocking measures are taken to try and overcome this sin in their own lives, and sometimes in the lives of their children.
0: Conversion therapy is really any attempt to change um, forcefully an individual's um, inherent gender or sexuality. So It often looks like trying to change someone who might identify as gay and make them identify as straight.
1: Conversion therapy can be as seemingly harmless as heart-to-heart conversations between a pastor and a congregant, maybe a congregant who's struggling with their sexual identity. At its worst, conversion therapy, also known as reparative therapy, has been known to include things like antipsychotic drugs, violent exorcisms, forced nudity, and forced feedings.
0: It it has been done in ways that are really violent using, for example, shock therapy, um, trying to create negative associations in an individual um, with different images when they see them so that instead of um, being attracted to an image, they might uh, be repulsed by it. But it, it has taken on a lot of different presentations over the years and most recently it's Been particularly about this idea of change.
1: So, again, in response to the Changed Movement, in July of 2019, on behalf of members of the Unchanged Movement, Q Christian Fellowship published a sort of open letter to members of Bethel's Changed Movement.
0: The message is, really, you don't need to change who you are to be loved. You don't need to change... Your, the, the fundamentals of your identity, the way your, your sexuality is so much about how you experience the world, how you express and receive love, how you experience your, yourself, how you love yourself, how you love God, how you experience God. And, it, and even in my own journey, coming out was a process of realizing just how much my own identity, uh, my own sexuality was, was a part of everything.
1: Nathaniel definitely recognizes that there is sacrifice and great risk in coming out. He lost a job when he came out. He lost a lot of opportunities and friends. He lost relationships with some of his family.
0: So I, you know, personally, I deeply, deeply emphasize with, with the loss and the grief that comes with that process at times and with the beauty and liberation and hope and vibrancy of coming out. So. You know, we're here, we we, we just want uh, individuals who are going through that experience to know that, gosh, you're, you're a beloved child of God, and we want you to know that you don't have to keep fighting. You can just rest in the goodness of who you are as God's child.
1: Now, there's no dancing around it. Conversion therapy is widely discredited. It's been banned for use on minors in more than 20 American states, and condemned by the World Health Organization and the United Nations. In 2020, the International Rehabilitation Council for Torture Victims even went so far as to officially deem it a form of torture. So what is happening at Bethel? And is it anything like the nightmares I'm hearing about that have happened in other churches? My next guest definitely has some insight into this.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Yandre van der Waal. Um, I'm actually Afrikaans. I live in South Africa in Jeffreys Bay.
1: Yandre is a children's pastor in South Africa, but he's involved with two branches of Bethel Church. The first is called Moral Revolution. It's another, I guess you could say, movement whose vision is to see a, quote, revolutionary shift that will help establish the safest, healthiest, and purest generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. A team of passionate individuals, it says, who are called to promote God's original design for sexuality. The other brand Yandre is involved with is
3: similar. It's the Changed Movement. For me, I absolutely love what they're doing because you never actually hear about anything like this you hear individual stories about freedom and what God has done about you know people walking away from the LGBTQ plus lifestyle but um the change movement is literally just about people that used to come out of that lifestyle and say "Okay, changed is actually possible like it is possible that Jesus is able to change what you're facing what you're going through specifically targeted at the LGBTQ plus movement and yeah it's actually really cool absolutely love changed I love Ken and uh, I love Elizabeth, those who started it. And um, yeah, they're absolutely pretty amazing.
1: Once we settled in, Yandre told me about the time he visited Bethel in Reading. It was back in 2018.
3: I always like dreamed almost of going there because I really want to taste and experience God's presence there. People are like they're not Bethel is not really known, as far as I know, to actually plant churches across the world. They're more known for the culture that they cultivate and the presence of God that they cultivate. And that's been happening for more than 40 plus years. Um, so that is when I went there, I when I, I remember I got out of the car and I was like, oh my word, this is absolutely amazing. I could feel like the atmosphere was already so thick with the presence of God. I literally could not believe what was happening. And I wasn't even on the parking lot for two minutes and a lady came out like literally out of the car. was like, oh my word, I was just got prophesied over and all of the kind of stuff. So it was absolutely phenomenal when I was there. Off the bat, I'm gonna just say this, like I, like a lot of my friends don't agree with what I believe God has done in my life. And there's a lot of friends that does. And the first thing whenever I encourage people in this journey or with any journey is that you have to get a revelation and an encounter with God, um, because you can get as much head knowledge about Jesus and about scripture. But if you don't have an encounter with Jesus, um, It's not going to change. You're going to base it in someone else's opinion, then it's actually not your own thing that God has cultivated in your heart.
1: So some backstory. Yandre grew up in a Christian family, and they moved around a lot. Five schools in four different provinces. And by the time he was eight, he'd been molested by two different men.
3: If you're a boy or a girl, your first sexual experience should not be with the same sex it needs to be with the opposite sex because that is how God created it to be. Right off the bat of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that is how God created man and women in his image and likeness. Man and women are supposed to subdue the earth to multiply and all of that. So my first experience was actually with man. And some of that I trusted as well. So I just felt like something was clashing with who I truly was meant to be. And I was like, whoa, like something is not lining up. Before he ever got involved with Bethel, Back when he was just
1: 15, 16 years old, he was called in for a meeting at his church. The leaders had caught wind that he was struggling with his sexual
3: identity. So they called me in and they were like, hey, I'm come in. And they were like a group of five, six people. And there was a chain in the middle with a bucket. And I was like, what is what is this? I had no idea why I was here. I was just like this is when I have a meeting. And they were elders and leaders in, in the church that I was at. Um, and they literally just sat me down and they started like praying over me and delivering the demon of homosexuality and everything. And I was so scared because I was like, what is happening? I'm like, you guys have a bucket here. And I'm like, what is it? They're like, I have to throw up now because it has to come out. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, whoa, if this is actually God, I'm, I don't want anything to do with it. Because, I mean, imagine if you're in a church and that happens. I mean, thats that doesn't display God's heart in a correct way or his kingdom.
1: Yandre's journey eventually led him to other Christians that he came to trust. Christians in South Africa and Christians at Bethel, the folks that changed. People that he says helped him get the kind of support and therapy that he was
3: longing for. Um, So I would definitely say um, conversion therapy, um, but not in this, because I think people hear therapy, especially for South Africans, they're like, oh my word, someone is going to try and change you. (laughs) Um, That was definitely not the case. Um, It was a complete, like just such good um, friendship and leadership that happened and um, that just helped me and guided me into pointing me towards Jesus the whole time.
1: Today, Yandre doesn't believe he was ever quote-unquote gay. Instead, he believes that the sexual abuse he suffered as a child led him to temporarily live a gay lifestyle. More Heaven Bent after this quick message.
4: Leo Sanchin Anyabu, I am Snowflake Calvert, and uh, I am Yoweme, uh Radamuri, and also Mayan from Chiapas. Um, I'm currently living in Huchin, Shechenna Ohlone lands, uh, which was renamed by white people as Oakland, California. Snowflake Calvert
1: is my next guest. And she's a two-spirit, someone who identifies as having both masculine and feminine spirit. Two-spirit is also a term that some indigenous North Americans use today to describe people in their community who are a third sex. Snowflake believes there was likely once a name for it in indigenous languages, but it was lost due to colonial homophobia over the last 500 years. She's trans, she's a dancer, and a drag performer, and she says that she knew she was queer from a very young age.
4: So yeah, I kind of was always in the closet, in the back of my mind, secretly, like, hoping and wanting a real life for myself um, to really find love, to really find happiness and just being able to be free and not having to have this parallel persona of, you know, presenting as a cis straight person.
1: Cis for her means that she no longer identifies with the male sex she was assigned at birth. She no longer identifies with the male persona she portrayed when she was an insider at Bethel. Her time with the church started when she was 16 and lasted about eight years. It included being a big part of Bethel's dance team and Bethel's children's ministry. And she's joining me to share her experience growing up queer at Bethel.
4: I'm excited, kind of, and then also kind of nervous. Um, I've never actually spoken publicly in any way about this. Like I have with like friends and family and things, but never publicly. So yeah, I don't know. (laughs)
1: Like me, Snowflake was raised in revival. As a kid, she even remembers traveling to Toronto to attend Toronto Blessing revival meetings.
4: Yeah, I would say it was, like, really happy. I mean, you know, it was coined as, you know, the laughing revival. Um, there was a lot of joy. There was, like, you know, a lot of services, conferences, you know, meetings where people would laugh for hours on end. And, you know, if you're with thousands of people from all over the world, like, it's a pretty cool vacation. And you get to meet people um, from different walks of life, which was really fun. Um, Made some really great friends out of it that lasted for years. Um, Only a few have still uh, stuck with me (laughs) um, in this time. But yeah, I mean, as a kid, it was really fun. You know, it was a- um, By this time, she means
1: this new life that she's living now, now that she's left Bethel behind. She's no longer a Christian, And she says she's also no longer afraid of living as what feels like to her, her most authentic self.
4: There was never anything that I heard specifically from the pulpit um, about homosexuality or, um, you know, trans issues. Uh, There was never anything out of the ordinary that most Christians wouldn't say. You know, they would say it's a sin and la la la. But it was really off the pulpit is where the most um, homophobia and transphobia really came out and how it was expressed because there's people that are on staff now that are in the closet and were forced back with their um, quote-unquote conversion therapy.
1: According to Snowflake's knowledge, here's what conversion therapy can look like at Bethel.
4: And it wasn't like a normal therapy session where you sign up for a long period of time to really deal with your issues. It was a one time thing. And kind of combating actual therapy, you know, they would say things like, You know, if you go to a a non-Christian therapist, they just want your money and they're going to make you keep coming back and you're not really going to get helped. But if you go through this Sozo thing, Jesus can come heal you in an instant in one session and take away all your trauma. You might need to come back for a couple more depending on how much you got.
1: Sounds like it may involve a pretty intense session where you basically go in, somehow identify the root cause of what made you gay, Maybe you might ask for forgiveness. Maybe you'll be led to forgive someone who hurt you. The idea is that this will heal the hurt and the trauma that is, quote, making you gay. From my own research and conversations with all sorts of different people, it's believed that things like sexual abuse or even just the lack of a father figure are some of the things that could turn you gay.
4: And then after that, you're expected to conduct yourself and behave in a certain way. Um, And that's very cult-like because you're not allowed to be yourself. You're not allowed to actually have trauma and heal from it. Um, You're just basically expected to act in a way that promotes Bethel's values.
1: Unfortunately, I'm hearing a lot of stories about queer people being outed at Bethel in really sad and traumatic ways. Her snowflake she was outed by a close Bethel friend. This friend's father was in senior leadership and the friend told her dad. Snowflake heard that they were having meetings about what to do about it for three months before they ever approached her about it. But then...
4: It was like this three-week thing where I was asked, I couldn't, basically I couldn't do anything other than attend church until they figured out like a path for me. And... They presented it as if they cared about me, and they didn't because the the path that they created for me to continue on in my different positions at the church, was I had to jump through their hoops. And jumping through their hoops was going through their, um, they call it SOZO. A lot of other Christians might recognize it as uh, healing ministries or deliverance ministries. Um, For those that don't realize uh, what those terms mean, it's basically a version of Christian therapy that isn't necessarily by a certified licensed therapist um, or psychologist. And they wanted me to basically just go back into the closet and present myself in a way that looked right to them that wouldn't damage their business.
1: Unlike some others, Snowflake chose not to accept the therapy being offered by Bethel. The therapy would have been required for her to remain a member and on staff. To get away from it all, she found refuge in a church in Canada, actually, up in Edmonton. But while she was up there, and Bethel found out where she'd escaped to, the church in Edmonton started receiving phone calls from Bethel's staff and extended family of staff members, warning them about Snowflake, telling them that she was dangerous and deceiving.
4: And yeah, there was a lot of slander at that time. And that for me was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back because I had to make the decision. Like I could go back in the closet. I could go through their hoops. I could act the way they want me to act, but this isn't worth it for me. I want to live an authentic life.
1: Dismantling her life from Bethel was very hard and it took years to completely disconnect, especially because so many of her most intimate friends were still a part of it.
4: You know, someone specific comes to mind. um, And they actually came out. Um, We were really good friends. And they came out. um, They got outed in a very sad way. um, And they tried for a good couple years to find a new life for themselves and pave that way to be in charge of their own destiny. But their whole family, who was also a part of Bethel and on staff, cut them off. And they were totally cut off and disowned and told that if they didn't go back into the closet, and I'm using my words now, they didn't go back into the closet, that they they would be completely cut off for the rest of their life from their family and all their friends. And they were, that's how they were treated. And it basically forced this person to go back to the closet because they were lonely. They missed their family. They missed their their relatives.
1: And for this friend, for Snowflake herself, and for so many others, sounds like leaving Bethel is complicated even more by the fact that their income is often wrapped up in church work.
4: You know, when you don't have... you know, revenue coming in when you don't have family support, it gets really lonely and really hard. And this person went back into the closet and this person is now married. um, You know, they're living their life, not as a lesbian, but um, as a straight person. And for this person and for all the other people um, who are queer, who are trans, non-binary, two-spirit, I just want you to know that like You are in charge of your destiny. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to have a double life. You are not wrong. You are beautiful and you are worthy of all love and you deserve good things and you deserve to live a full, authentic life where you don't have to act like people tell you to act. You can be yourself.
1: Next time on Heaven Bent...
4: Said, Cash out devils. For American evangelicals, when they talk about Satan, they are talking about a literal consciousness, a malignant personality and intelligence that is both out to get them individually and also, they believe, out to destroy the allegedly formerly Christian culture of the United States. That is, that is their view.
2: During that message that Chris preached on a Sunday night, um, he he essentially said, I'm telling you that, that God wants Trump to win a second term, and you can do whatever you want, but I don't think you want to make God, your dad, angry.
0: If you count the legal votes, I easily win. In the name of Jesus Christ,
2: I come against
0: you, Satan.